0: For more information, visit www.navic.co. This episode is brought to you by Data.ai, the industry's most trusted mobile data intelligence and analytics platform. With data.ai, you can access estimates for downloads, revenue, engagement, and retention for millions of apps and games on the iOS and Google Play stores. And you can take it a step further and drill down into granular competitive sets with their Game IQ taxonomy. Also, with data.ai, mobile games publishers can track competitors, prioritize features, assess monetization models, monitor market share, explore demographics, improve app store optimization, and much more. You can learn more at data.ai or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Novic Roundtable. I'm your host, Devin Becker. And with me, I have some fantastic panelists, as always. As you all know, the ever-lively Aaron Bush, Anil Dasgupta here, and Jonathan Anastas. How are you guys all doing today?
2: Great. Excellent. Happy to be here, as always.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. I'm glad you guys are all doing well here. we got a lot of great topics to talk about today. Uh, Unity, of course, the topic on everyone's mind, I think, in the entire gaming industry, at least the portion that they uh, influence at this point. Some uh, info on Korean Blockchain Week that I think was a pretty interesting uh, event that happened recently. Playtika with an acquisition for some reason. Uh, some leaks around Nintendo, uh, Switch 2, and Xbox, future Xbox, perhaps. And, uh, and a question from our mailbag. You guys got any good updates for us today? Jonathan, Anil, anything?
2: Sure. Sure, I'm uh, dialing in from San Francisco or I here for TechCrunch Disrupt. Very interesting to to dive into the conversations this week and see what's happening in the broad tech landscape because that obviously affects what's going on in gaming, everything from AI to fundraising, but uh, always good to be in San Francisco. and coming off a crazy summer of uh, of leading a streetball league. Right where uh, we we finished the summer with the first annual Clash Cup, where four teams played for twenty five thousand dollars with our new streetball commissioner Fat Joe. Yeah. You know, if you had asked me when I started my career, somehow I'd be in business with Fat Joe. I would have I would have laughed, and here I am.
0: <laughs> when I saw that LinkedIn, I was like, "What the heck is going on?" But that that's really cool. And um, can you remind me what all Clash TV like? What sports you all are into? Because I also saw you're doing like a fighting league or something too.
2: Sure. So our primary business is streaming streetball, classic New York streetball, and also MMA. There's a big audience crossover, kind of germane to the gaming audience. It's very interesting to promote some of our games this summer. We did an esports uh, tournament in NBA 2K. One of our legendary leagues, Rucker, is in NBA 2K. So we got like 10 influencers to play on the legendary Rucker Court, and uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was led by Jayla Gaming, and we had a, a great group of, uh, uh, of, of gamers and, and NBA 2K creators, great diversity, great content creation. It was super fun, and I, I love places where my worlds can come together and my passions can come together.
3: No, I can't possibly compete with that, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm like a lot of game devs are just knee-deep in building. Um, it's that time of year, people focusing on getting their stuff ready for the fall. So um, I'm in that camp. No Fat Joe for me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no Fat Joe here
0: either. But nothing wrong with building. That's what enables us all to be here um, in, in the first place. Uh, yeah, on the Novic end, I just have a couple quick... Um, shout outs. We, we published a couple deep dives in the past week that I suggest uh, everyone go and check out. Uh, our first one was a new game construct deconstruction that we did on Honkai Star Rail um, and really more broadly on Mahoyo and its growing Hoyoverse. And of course, you know Mahoyo is you know one of the rising stars of the games industry. And it was really interesting to dig into like how this new game fits into their ecosystem, you know the, you know how much it's cannibalizing, like what went right and wrong in launching this game, and you know what it could mean for how the future of this company um, acts. So that was really cool. And shout out to Harshal, Manu, and Jordan from from our team for for writing that that awesome piece. And then um, second, by the time this episode publishes, we'll also have published a second essay this week about the rise of dedicated or private game servers you know such as in games like minecraft GTA Roblox um, and soon much more you know this is a small but growing segment of the industry but it's still really interesting and Matt Dion who of course everyone here you know knows from from this podcast as well he did a really great job spearheading that that piece too so two awesome pieces of extra deep dive content for you this week recommend checking it out just go to navic.co and go to our deep dives tab, and they'll both be there.
1: Way to stack more on my reading plate. <laughs> just, yeah, no <laughs> shortage. just keeps coming. No, yeah. definitely not. And uh, and definitely, as always, uh, you know, I say this a lot of times during the end of the episode, but I always recommend make sure if you're listening to this, wherever you happen to find it, YouTube, Spotify, wherever, um, make sure you're subscribed to the Novic Digest because it is, it's free. And it's good content constantly. It's not just, uh, you know, a bunch of ads with like, you know, cult actions and all that stuff. It's actually all great content. So make sure you're checking that. Obviously a little biased myself, sometimes some stuff in there for me, but uh, I think, it, I think it's all great. So definitely. Yeah. Well, you should tell us about
0: thing. your, you should tell us about your latest piece, Devin, because it was yeah. kind of your top takeaways from, you know, last week you were in Korea for Korea blockchain week, maybe like one or two top takeaways from that you could share on the pod.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I, th- I think the, the big important question for me was like, how's everyone feeling? like in terms of sentiment and stuff like that, because we're obviously during kind of like a, a bit of a bear market, right? Where everyone's been called crypto winter or whatever you want to call it, where it's like just slow. Uh, I don't think they really got that memo. doesn't seem like, right? It's And I mean, think, I think we all kind of expected there was going to be like still a push in Asia. They just don't seem concerned. Like, you know, it's like they would kind of mention it passing. Oh yeah, bear market, whatever. We're, we're just building over here. We're, we're going to do cool stuff. And I think that was really, really cool to see in person. Uh, just the, the enthusiasm, and also, even when they were talking about like hurdles, like regulatory stuff or trying to deal with like stable coin stuff, it was, it wasn't like, oh yeah, we got to, all this stuff's going to be a big problem for them. It's like, hey, how can we solve this and move forward? Or how can we use this? And uh, it definitely seemed like they, they know their own area. Uh, you know, like there's certain regulations they have to deal with uh, in Korea and Asia more broadly. And they just, we know that spot. So we're just going to build around all that. And I mean, you're, you're talking about a country that basically makes it illegal to even play Crypto games and is still pushing, and so that I think that's amazing. I'm I'm very excited for for Korea and uh, and Japan, especially as, as well. And I think as Southeast Asia in general, it sounded like even from the sentiment there, Hong Kong might be kind of a becoming more of a hot spot again as well. So, I think I think very exciting. A lot of a lot of great talks from a lot of smart people. Uh, and it was especially great to see uh, Hilmar from CCP uh, with the talk alongside uh, someone from MapleStory. Like definitely like some big brains working on some cool stuff there. So very excited about all that.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask as a quick follow up before we dive into all the other topics. um, Was there anything there that, you know, made you think it has like mainstream appeal? Are we still kind of in the figuring it out phase or like are you seeing the light at the end of the tunnel at events like this yet?
1: You know, it definitely feels like uh, the, the early, like a lot of the the stuff that Korea kind of did early where it would hadn't really figured out how to like make it more broad yet, but it kind of worked for them. You know, like a lot of the, some of the the free to play stuff in the early days uh, around that uh, in, in a lot of the MMOs and and uh, esports in general, where it was like, you know, the, it's a thing they're really into, uh, but it, it hasn't become like a broader business model yet. I think they're still in that kind of phase where they're like, you know, they're, they're just going to keep iterating until they figure it out. And then eventually we'll see something that works and copy it. Um, And I think they're moving quickly through the like, oh, play to earn's cool. Like we're going to keep some of that, that we can think we can make work because, you know, there's lots of things to try and move towards NFTs and other things. So I I just see lots of rapid iteration. Like, you know, companies like Netmarble will be like, oh, that game didn't work. We'll try another one. That game didn't work. We'll try another one. Uh, And not just giving up after the first loss. I mean, these are big companies willing to take a few hits to push it forward. Uh, and I think that's just, again, that's Korea in general. They look like they're willing to keep pushing until it's going to work or until they just decide their bottom line's had too much. Uh, and hopefully that, that time doesn't come too soon. I mean, you've got even announcements from from Crafton coming out afterwards about their big Web3 thing. They're kind of Roblox-ish sort of thing. Uh, like, they, they just keep coming. And I, and I know there's some announcements, I think, even or at least showings coming from Tokyo uh, as well uh, around this week is probably before this episode even comes out so uh, i look forward to even more coming out from asia in general like from bigger names like there's definitely konami stuff there's square enix there's um, uh at least a couple more that i'm forgetting off the top of my head right now that i saw sega as well i think their game was getting a showing from double jump so a lot of really cool stuff i i think uh now's not the time to sleep on asia unless you just really want to focus entirely on the west i guess
0: yeah, well, I'm glad you got a chance to to go hang out in Korea. Seems like it was a good informative time.
1: Definitely, yeah. So make sure to check out the, uh, the article as well for for a lot more other information than we gave here. Lots of good stuff in there. And of course, um, you know, we'll continue to keep an eye on that just whole region. But in the meantime, the destruction of all of gaming from Unity, the the, the topic we can't not touch at this point, even though we started to cover it last week. What, uh, what's the latest going on with that fire?
3: let me take this one yeah this is the hot topic in the industry right now it's very fluid and ever-moving and changing situations we can only give you the news as we understand it right now i think the big thing since last week is that unity have kind of issued a back down of kind they have put out a statement saying you know we have heard you we apologize for the confusion and angst amongst the runtime fee policy we announced on tuesday we are listening and yada 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 and we will share an update in a couple of days that actually was posted a couple of days ago and um, we still haven't heard anything, which is quite interesting. So I'm wondering how they're trying to factor it. But let, let me give you the facts before we move on to speculation. So things that we know happened since um, this last covered in the roundtable. Their co-founder, David Helgerson says we effed up with the price increase. Uh, you know, that was he literally posted that himself on his own social media. So that's quite, you know, <laughs> the statement to say that they got they got it wrong. What had happened at the early part of last week is a lot of companies decided to kind of fight fire with fire and say, well, okay, if you're going to be changing the fees, we're not going to give you any of our revenue. So they were moving off unity ads monetization and essentially boycotting it. It was 19 last week. And at the time of writing it was up to 424. And I'm sure more and more companies were moving onto that. So, you know, they were really trying to sort of like, you know, hit them where it hurts in the monetary side, especially given that unity merger of iron source, you might remember that's one of the big reasons why a lot of this stuff has kind of come together. Um, and also it had often been said that uh, some of their changes of terms of service were likely to catch the attention of European antitrust regulators, which may be something they weren't so aware of. Um, and I think it is one of the big discussing and talking points, which I'm sure we'll cover in a moment in terms of like the legalities of what they were trying to do. The only other things that we know definitely are happening, a lot of devs have already stated that they will be switching engines. I've seen a number of uh, social media announcements for teams building, you know, saying, yes, we are going to switch over, even though it's going to be a cost to us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And Bloomberg reported uh, two quite big items, I think. This happened at a company all hand. One was that... um, apparently it has been discussed with the staff at unity that they are exploring some changes some of these changes include a 4% cap on potential fees there was no cap before which is i think one of the reasons why people were particularly upset although if you ask me that's still um you know not a fee that should be charged uh, and this would only apply for customers making over a million in revenue installations contracts wards you know wouldn't be applied retroactively which i think was a big thing as well it's like well hang on a minute if If the Navik game just sold two billion copies, does that mean we have to pay back taxes on it just for our prior success? Uh it's you know the carpet being pulled out from under you. And the other big thing is is that now there are some talks that Although Unity are working on their own proprietary tools to track software installations, they would, in the interim period, ask users to self-report the data, which just seems madness, <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, we our game definitely was downloaded 10 billion times, definitely not 10 times, and we're not sure how all this money <laughs> came from. But, which, again, just seems like a, I, you know, I have to watch my language here, but it doesn't seem like the cleanest way, shall we say, of, of addressing this kind of situation. So they're the updates that we know. Uh, it will be interesting to see, I guess I I can say, so, you know, I really wanted to cover this topic because I am someone who is at a startup building a mobile game using unity as our engine of choice. And, you know, frankly, to see this kind of stuff being pulled. Mm -hmm. it it may be pretty angry I've got to be honest if we're in a situation that we don't have the luxury of being able to swap engines that it's simply not a choice for us so it feels like you know you're being completely victimised here at this power play that other people are kind of pulling where you don't really have a choice which I think is particularly unfair and I can say that that kind of criticism is shared I think through all walks and I think what I found quite interesting is it's not just people in in my position but even people I don't know at top companies you know are also pretty surprised I saw actually I think something of interest is I think the mini clip CFO or CCO uh, basically ran through a kind of uh, argument showing the numbers that would be run and you know what it would mean and, and justifying how bad it is and I think what that really shows is they obviously didn't speak to people at companies that high up in the food chain which means it must have caught a lot of people by surprise Um, and and, and at the same time it is interesting that we haven't seen sort of statements from people let's say at King or Playrix or people that do have a lot of downloads I'm sure there certainly were some discussions had some higher ups in some companies but this definitely has been quite the shock and so it will be interesting to see what they come up with Um, you know I've got to say just to give my personal opinion before handing over to the rest of the panel I think the real big problem here is, is the trust issue right and Frankly, like, do these people understand how you even do business? Right. And, you know, boiling down to its purest form, it is that relationship. And it's like, if you're prepared to yank things from underneath people and completely change your terms without any prior warning, even if they were to do a complete back down, the damage has kind of been done. Right. I mean, what confidence does that give you with anyone working with them in the future capacity? I, I don't even think that they've ever thought this through in their heads, it is even the thing. I mean, what I will say that I found interesting is when the news first came out, their stock price actually increased very slightly. Since then, it's actually come back down a little, but still comparatively, their stock price is exactly the same level as it was a month ago. So this has neither been like received well by potential you know, uh, brokers, neither badly which I think is also a bit confusing because to me, this sounds like a pretty terrible move to make. But I'll take my own subjective opinions out of it. Uh, I'd love to hear what the rest of the panel think on these latest developments and where you think this will end up.
0: Yeah, I can, I can kick things off. Um, I mean, I suspect that new updates from Unity <laughs> might even be announced before this episode airs. And I suspect that they will partially backtrack um, or just kind of re-architect how... Uh, how it works? Maybe putting a cap based on percentage of revenue, or pushing the starting timeline back six months or twelve months, something like that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> I also thought that our squad last week did a pretty good job, also reacting to what the difficulties may be for game developers, as everyone's just trying to figure out what this means for for their business. Um, but you know what, I think wasn't hit enough on and. W- what most people are like sleeping on is why unity made these changes in the first place. Um, And, and last week, you know, on the pod, they kind of said it was, you know, to make more revenue and that's not wrong. Like, of course it's always like a piece of it, but the broader nuance, in my opinion, has more to do with how (laughs) unity is fundamentally just a very bad business right now. That's not an excuse for, you know, how they rolled things out, but I think it's worth just unpacking like, Like What is going wrong that is driving such changes that impact the industry to to this degree? And so really to start, the seat-based model for developers using this game engine, it's not a lucrative model. It worked because Unity caught the mobile wave very early and saw a lot of growth, dominant market share. And it put a lot of effort into making money with adjacent services, primarily supporting IAPs, which it does take a cut of revenue on and therefore is more scalable um, and more recently you know obviously getting more into advertising which it double down would on with iron source uh, but obviously when when mobile the company's major growth engine slams to a halt mostly because of ATT and the fact that it's just a mature industry now the growth on that core business also creeps to a halt and um, you know no growth <laughs> which right now also means Losing large customers on average, um, you know, not adding new customers, and you know that's not new. It's definitely excel maybe accelerating <laughs> right now, um, but that actually has been the trend for the past year or so, and that's bad. But what's worse is that, you know, from a Unity perspective, is that you know the weak growth has also pulled back the curtain on how value destructive the business has been. You know, so for one, like this is a business that has not been profitable at all by any real measure. And slowing growth has not made the, the company profitable. Two, stock-based compensation for this company has also been off the charts. It's been over 30% of revenue for the past couple of years or so, which drives really heavy dilution. Um, and then three, it's pretty obvious that much of the m and that the company did, did, such as Weta, which it paid over a billion dollars for a couple of years ago, that was all overpriced. And pretty value destructive. And then, lastly, you know, if you piece all of those together, it shows that like not only has the business been very bloated, somewhat unsustainable, um, and poorly managed, but it makes sense why the, the stock is down, you know, over eighty percent um, from from its highs. And so that's really like the context of like why Unity feels compelled to make a change because you know, how they had run their business with the game engine before. It worked while everything was good, but it didn't really work when everything was bad. But when everything turned bad, like it just exposed how like unprofitable everything else in the business was and how poor judgment, a lot of the previous decisions that went into growth um, were from a value creation lens. Um, But, you know, it's not an excuse for like how horribly executed (laughs) all of these changes were um and you know unfortunately uh at least from my point of view that's kind of a pattern you know a year ago the ceo of this company was calling its customers you know effing idiots uh, you know like he's the guy who um you know has created a pretty bad track record at unity um with kind of the the empire building model which you know i'll also just point out in seven years at EA before <laughs> Unity, it was very similar. And you know, the stock at EA over that seven years was flat that that whole time um, at best. And so um, yeah, I think there's just something pretty fundamentally wrong at the top with the way that this company is being run by now. I suspect that with these specific pricing changes, there will be like adjustments made. <laughs> but needing those adjustments in the first place, you know, shows that there are bigger changes than just adjustments that are needed, that are more foundational to the business. And we can speculate on what that is, but really that's the bigger um, bottom line to me when it comes to unity specifically.
2: I, I would argue that, you know, it- it's interesting to me. I agree. I think it's fundamentally probably more a communications problem than it is a business problem for all the reasons you laid out, Aaron, the, the why, actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, As Neil pointed out, it's the how that's the problem. And the rough parallel I kind of would make to this, though, it's a little bit different, is Netflix rolling out the the password crackdown, right? It's like, hey, growth is kind of stalled. We may have gotten as much penetration as we can get. There was this weird little loophole in our business that we were allowing people to do things for a long time that cost us money, And to go back to the stock piece and the comms piece, A, Netflix communicated it in advance before they did it, right? They floated it out for at least a couple of quarters. This is coming. This is coming, right, before it came. And they could sort of solicit a little feedback and and tweak comms. And then also, interestingly, they stuck to their guns once it happened. You know, and I know it's a little different, like stopping cheating versus like actually changing your, your core monetization is a little bit different. But like the super quick, like, whoa, 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 okay, we're putting on, we're putting on pause, like we're going to come back with a statement, actually puts you back on your heels from a comms perspective and puts you in a position of weakness, right? Like... The, you know, and if you talk about the stock price, well, no surprise it didn't go up or down, right? It it, it would, there's upward pressure because, hey, we're going to make some more money, right? Making more money is upward pressure on stock, but oh, they might reverse it is kind of downward pressure. You know, the, the market didn't seem to believe that there'd be a mass exodus from it as a platform, probably because it's difficult and slow to do that. And so you didn't see the stock crater. But fundamentally, this is a communications problem. I might argue fundamentally, it's not a business problem. And potentially, if I were guiding things there, I would stick to my guns in, in, in some way, shape, or form here with a move forward on increasing monetization. Like, listen to the marketplace, make some tweaks. But I'm not sure, for all the reasons Aaron laid out, that like a complete reversal puts you back in a solid business position, right? You're, you're still in a revenue-challenged place. Which, which isn't good for anybody in the ecosystem. So I, I get the emotional outcry and I get the epic failure from managing these communications well, but the underlying why doesn't seem so crazy to me.
0: The analogy I thought you were going to give with Netflix was Quickster. And I was like, yeah, this kind of is Unity's yeah. Quickster moment in a sense. Um, <laughs> there are actually quite a lot of parallels with that. Yep. Um, good, one, yeah, I mean, good one too, good one too. I think it very much is a business problem and a communications problem. I think that no matter what, um, Unity, like if they're willing to make moves that they said they weren't going to make like a year ago, it's like they're recognizing that they do have to make some pretty fundamental changes to their business model that, you know, even if it's better communicated, (laughs) no one's really going to like it because it means that more money is going to be made no matter what um and so i think you know and inevitably there always was a bit of that that was going to happen but but yeah the communications part major fail for for sure but yeah i think it's definitely definitely both but I, yeah i am personally curious if we'll see it like a a leadership shakeup at some point i don't know if i'm overreacting to that
3: too much but uh, yeah, it's well, I, I, I don't think you.
2: <clears throat> okay. I don't
3: think you. You might be. I mean, a, a different point I was going to say is that's fair enough on their their business fundamentals, and you know, they're a business; they need to make profit too. But I mean, they are a bloated company. They have over seven and a half thousand employees worldwide. Um, do they need that many people? This is also a company that, quite frankly, has a very poor track record at keeping its own promises. They are a company that has been caught in the cycle for the past three to four years of seeing a certain feature or, you know, cool kid on the the block, trying to replicate it themselves then under delivering if delivering it at all and, and messing up on it all the time or adding to this blow. And I can give you multiple examples of that. Like they announced several years ago, a bit of a kind of movie studio thing in unity, probably after seeing the Mandalorian use unreal engine, we've got to get on that. Then web three blew up and it's like, oh, we're going to have our own interim marketplace that you can use. They were even approaching a lot of developers about, do you want to use this service? And then cut it. You know, like a, I can tell you that two weeks after being asked to try it, it was cut. So it was a classic case of left hand not knowing what the right hand was doing. Um, Unity, which operates on the mobile platform, has a pretty poor user interface, library and code and, and things like that. And it's something that's been promised to be worked on for years. So look, I, I I don't want to get too emotional, although I clearly am and things like this, but what I would say is that is fair enough, but it seems to me that perhaps they're not maybe making the most obvious change first and foremost, which just to maybe double down on what they're good at and having a bit of a clean out, because I don't feel that they can be the most efficient company in terms of operating expenses with that many people and like i say this continued perception not just perception but reality of under delivery so i'm i'll leave it there anyway for me
0: (laughs) yeah and they have done a couple rounds of layoffs over the past few months so i think it is happening and will probably happen um more if this were sports betting you know, like I'm interested in sports betting, especially, you know, looking at where, like, where's the where's the long shot value? Like, what are like the the random scenarios that are more possible than the masses are thinking? And so uh, like here my sports bet. I would wonder, like, what are the odds that Unity's founder, the one who, you know, called out on social media saying we effed up um, David Helgeson uh, I might be mispronouncing his name. That he's you know back in the CEO seat in the next twelve months, like what is that like a ten to one is that a fifty to one i don't know yeah. um, but that would be if this were if this were vegas that's a that's a bet that I would be a long shot bet that I would be looking at
1: seems to me one of the the fundamental things that Anil touched on is something that I, I've seen a lot of developers bring up, but I think people who are a little more business minded maybe aren't thinking about this thing as much, which is that the breach of trust, like they may have had like a legal way to make a a change like that, like through the the terms of service. But I think it's like very clearly the kind of thing that's just not ethical, right? Like if they're talking about retroactively applying this to games that are already out and when they're just downloaded new, but they, you know, not re-downloads, but downloads that are fresh sales, for example, like if you sell your game now, but it was made Five years ago, this still applies. If you are basically just about done with your game, or if you're like a nil and you have your game already out on the market, and it applies to that, they know you can't pivot. There's nothing you can do at that point except for either pull your game off the store uh, and just hope nothing you know changes, or that you just like you know suck it up. And, and in that case, it's like just such a huge breach of trust that I can't imagine going forward. Like maybe maybe they you know smooth this over and they get like a short term uh, like small. Small hit, right? But long-term, like if you're talking about your business and you know this company can just rug you at any moment and start taking some of your profits just because they weren't making enough from what they're doing, I think that becomes like a lot bigger risk as a business to take. Obviously, yeah, the, the number of options isn't super high, right? Unity uh, is, is a little more, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this and no, since you've done it a lot more than me, uh, a little more efficient on mobile perhaps than, than Unreal, Unreal Is Unreal is a bit of a, a battery warmer. Uh, most of the time. Yeah. And so obviously that's, that's, I mean, that's becoming more and more competitive, right? As, as phones catch up, you have the whole iPhone can run triple A games now thing and all that stuff. Uh, but it's still, they kind of dominate the market to an extent. And I, I could see that maybe starting to shift if they really dig their heels in, maybe not in this generation of games, right? Maybe as, as people, cause people are already like, ah, profits getting taken from here. Like we already have all the battle over that 30% from Apple and Google and steam. And it's just, I don't know, just more and more cuts. And then you're talking about the free-to-play model just getting sliced and diced. So, I mean, I'm I'm glad the, the, the people kind of hit them where it hurt in terms of the ads because that seemed like the smart way to actually make them care. Like, you could complain on Twitter all day long and I don't think they would have changed their tune. It was only when they right, started exactly. losing money on ads. They're like, oh, wait, maybe we can't, maybe we should do <laughs> something about this,
3: right? Yeah, let let me just add something to you quickly, which is that I can think of one similar example in the games industry. Nintendo, when they had the Super Nintendo, they were developing their CD drive with Sony, which would of course later become the PlayStation with the fallout from it. And they spoke to developers at the time and you were big kind of issue was that developers had to pay this cartridge cost, right? So to develop on Nintendo's proprietary hardware, you had to pay this fee to use their proprietary cartridge, of which they would take a cut and do it. And then they were going to work with Sony and, you know, they still wanted to have their cake and eat it. So they kept on it and then Sony kind of broke away from that and said, right. But if you develop on ours, you won't have to pay the cartridge fee. And we're going to, we will keep to our promise that we've been speaking to you about that. You will only have to pay the CD fee and it wasn't an overnight thing. But then when the PlayStation launched, there was a reason why it's catalog was so extremely impressive and probably unlike any other developers pulled off because they did upset the wrong people and made them want to try something else. so I think you're right. I don't think it's something you'd see short term, but yeah, I could see sort of three to five years time um, a lot of developers using another engine.
1: It's been great for Godot. I'll say that much. Like I've, I've never seen Godot talked about this much ever. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to get a lot more donations or whatever and, and support. Maybe not. This isn't going to bring them like suddenly, you know, developing for AAA studios or anything like that. But I think uh, for a small, you know, engine like that, I'm sure this is going to be a big boost. We'll see. I'm sure there will be more fallout to talk about about this next week as well. So we might as well put a pin in it there. Uh, but I'm sure it will continue to evolve. Hopefully in a good direction. I guess we'll see. You know, we'll probably be back with this and hopefully with smiles instead of frowns. But you never know with this company. They haven't done uh, a lot of <laughs> super smart things to be excited about. So uh, fingers crossed. To, you know, throw down those those, uh, those odds. I guess. But uh, yeah, we've got uh, another maybe iffy business decision from Platika with an acquisition of InPlay Labs.
0: Yeah, so this is, you know, much smaller news than Unity, but a few days ago, Platika announced that it is acquiring InPlay Labs, a fellow Israel-based company that currently supports two mobile games, Animals and Coins, and Tiles of Fortune. Uh, So Animals and Coins blends, you know, adventure gameplay with a social loot element, and it's And it's done pretty well. Uh, It's generated about 18 million in IPs since um, its 2020 release. Tiles of Fortune has similar coin and raid mechanics in a match three format, and it went live about a year ago and hasn't performed um, nearly as well. Uh, But apparently it's where much of the development resources of InPlay Labs um, are going, and You know, if you look at this deal from a high-level view, it's not crazy to see, you know, how Platika can come in and try to help boost live ops performance and long-term engagement. That's always kind of their go-to game plan across, you know, a bunch of games that they acquire, for better or worse, um, historically. Um, But really, two things about this deal stand out to me, and I, I think are just worth noting. Um, one is that the deal has an upfront consideration of eighty million, but a maximum longer term consideration of up to three hundred million uh, based on, you know, whatever undisclosed performance targets there are. Um, and I just think it's interesting because that's a super wide range <laughs> for an acquisition. Um, but it's also interesting because, uh, Platica's last announced acquisition of Yuta Games in July also had a, sim- a similarly wide range of outcomes. So this is now like a pattern and like a, kind of like a new way that Platica is thinking about making acquisitions um, uh, that is more conservative. And I guess, you know, over time, if the acquisitions hit, it kind of pays for itself in some way. So I actually kind of like that that change. Instead of going like super super hard on big acquisitions, where you have you just like really big dreams of you know transforming a game and making it much bigger and more lucrative than it is, and you're paying a ton of money upfront in cash and or stock, making it uh, more conservatively structured. That's based more heavily on performance over time. Um, from a Platika point of view, I think that's a smarter way to operate so that's kind of takeaway number one uh takeaway number two what stands out to me is how much platika is just leaning on m&a um you know obviously for platika uh they like over the past year this is a, a revenue declining company and uh they're you know somewhat desperate to figure out their growth engine and organic growth via new games Has been tough to come by. They've they've kind of stopped development on a lot of like new internal games across their studios because they just haven't been haven't been hitting. Um, And uh, but the reasons I'm kind of surprised that they're still leaning as heavily as they are on M and A are that like one this is a 3.6 billion dollar company with one and a half billion in net debt and about two and a half billion in total debt. So this is like a very debt heavy company to still kind of be. Um, shelling out decent money for deals um, and then second you know similar to a lot of the other companies that we've talked about this is a business whose stock has shed enormous value at least as a percentage over you know the since it IPO three or so years ago um, and so it's stock as a means of like currency for striking deals is' not you know what it used to be and so you know the deals that it's striking lately I think are mainly, um, cash based, um, which you know, given what the balance sheet is, it's just it's just notable. Um, and then and then lastly, they're doing all of that on a more strained balance sheet um, when their track record with M and A has been pretty inconsistent at best. Um, and so um, so yeah, we've talked about Platica and their acquisition strategy before, but it's just interesting to see kind of as after a long pause. Where they had a lot of difficulties, they've kind of started coming back with a new style. These are smaller deals relative to what they've done before, and are more conservative. And you know, to their credit, like this is a pretty profitable business, even though um, you know it's been been shrinking and not everything has worked out. So they can handle the debt. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to point that out. I'm not entirely sure if that makes me. More optimistic on you know platika's long term fortune, I think they're like the foundation i don't think these deals like transform the foundation of the business like they still have like like bigger bigger fish to fry and in my view um, but it's interesting to see kind of the steps they're taking to kind of turn the ship around at least partially so yeah that's my view on on this deal and kind of the string of events of late uh, and their change strategy. does anyone else have any Quick thoughts on Platika uh, more broadly, or even this deal specifically, before we move on.
1: Guess I'm curious, then, Aaron, what your take is on where you think they go next. Do, do we see more acquisitions from them? Do we see them finally decide to release a new game? What? What's? Uh, What's your? Uh, like, maybe just a short term future, the next year or two.
0: Um, <clears throat> I don't really know to be honest with you. I, I think, as I've said in like previous episodes, from my view, like big picture, Platika platika has kind of been stuck between a rock and a hard place if your organic growth efforts aren't really panning out um that's tough but also if you can't really afford like big inorganic growth moves that's also tough and if you kind of like struggle to really justify both in a big way it's hard to kind of see like a larger transformation something that like really like turns the chart from steadily going down to steadily going back up and trying to hit new highs again at some point so I don't really see see that I think that this is a business that can definitely you know steady itself and um, is quite profitable and some of like the deal making that they're doing I don't have great views on like the games of like animals and coins i'm not I'm not really sure what to make of that but um I think that kind of their newer more conservative approach with some of the smaller deal making um, Maybe instead of like large moves, some of these smaller moves can add up over time. Um, And maybe they still can unlock some organic growth in some ways. Um, But I still think they're stuck between a rock and a hard place to some degree.
1: Do you think like these acquisitions help them set up for a position where they could release a new game and grow through the user bases of those games? Like, you know, uh, know, promote the game to the players of those existing games because they've got enough pool to cross-promote to, like, some different audiences to where they're not as dependent on some of the problems that you come from, uh, you know, traditional user acquisition?
0: Uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think some of the cross-play or cross-selling stuff has been on their mind for a long time. I don't know how well it works, especially just across different genres. I don't think it works too well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even with, like, with InPlay, which they just acquired, they, they have two main games, and their second game is... You know, not very successful yet, but maybe they see something there that plugged into Live LiveOps engine, they can take it up a notch. Um, that That's kind of my, my guess. Um, and maybe, I mean, that still is acquired growth, but acquired and then driving <laughs> organic growth from it. Um, maybe there's something to that, but I don't have strong views on the game by game specifics of it.
1: I guess I was hopeful that the answer would be yes, just because I would like to see some <laughs> some some you know some of these acquisitions turn into new games it and might. not just milk the existing customers, I guess, right?
0: I so. mean, it still might be the case. Um, yeah. I mean, Platika has definitely leaned on the milking side, but I think they're smart enough to realize that you've you got to unlock some of these newer growth avenues in some sense. So I don't think that's what they're purely betting on anymore by any means.
1: Cool. We're going completely in the opposite direction of this mobile stuff. Console's been uh, having some fun with a gift that keeps on giving the the, the Microsoft Activision Blizzard trial that uh, seemed to leak everything under the sun. Apparently, we've got everyone's email at this point. So uh, starting with Nintendo details.
3: Yeah, I'll take this one. So yeah, it's that time of... Uh part in the, the console life cycle, I guess, where people start getting bored of the, the current consoles we've got and we're talking about what's coming next. I think with Nintendo, it's long overdue, right? The Switch has been out for a while. It's been rumored for so long that the, the, the second one would be there. And so, yeah, we, we've now started to see that Activision Blizzard now have been told that the new Nintendo console, it will match Xbox One and PS4 performance, which I guess is kind of like on brand for Nintendo. They tend to release consoles that are a little bit... I wouldn't necessarily say underpowered, but, you know, they're for a different type of market. They go more for sort of cheap price point and accessibility over them. So that's kind of what we've heard there. Um, And uh, yeah, this has been, I guess, labeled at Activision especially for not really utilizing the Switch so much, missing out on some of their IPs like Call of Duty and would they be doing that next time? And they've said that, you know, they basically they've confirmed that they would be interested in doing it. But one thing they wanted to do is make sure that they had access to it early because it's taking additional work to support it as pipelines and, and things like this get more difficult. So the only information we know is that it does appear to be in development. Um, yeah, it'll be matching those two consoles previously mentioned, so PS4, Xbox One performance. And um, yeah, that's where it's going to go. And it does appear that it is going to be another sort of Switch like console, which is interesting. I think one thing that is interesting to us sort of more neutrals is that in the past Nintendo used to have a home console and a handheld console separately, right? You'd get like the Nintendo DS and the GameCube. You'd get the Super NES and the Game Boy, and then they combine it together with the Switch. And were they going to keep going that approach or do something different? It looks like they are going to maintain that. So um, that's all we know so far, but I am curious, actually, especially to get Aaron's opinion on this in terms of, do you think that's enough? Because... I sort of feel that like the Switch two is I'm quite surprised that it's not already out, to be honest with you. Like I feel like it it could easily have hit the market a year or two ago. And it feels to me that by the time this console is out, is is that going to be enough? Because by that point, if it's coming out with we're just about speaking speak in a moment about newer consoles coming out, is the golf not going to be really, really big and it's almost a bit irrelevant. We are starting to see the rise of other sort of handheld decks starting to become a thing, although nowhere near the numbers at the Switch has. So I'm curious to get your take on it, but that's what we've learned so far about the new Nintendo console.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, uh, honestly, kind of how I view this conversation is like, we could basically have the same conversation like every five years, <laughs> you know, based on like the new console cycle and probably what we would say would be exactly the same or very similar. Um, so in this case, uh, like, no, I don't think it's really going to make too much of a, of, of a difference. I think the timing will be fine. Um, I think the uptick will be solid. People who love Nintendo are going to continue to love, um, Nintendo. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe they could have had like another switch pro or something like earlier in the cycle and maybe this would play it play into that afterwards or something. I'm not Uh, I'm not sure if there would have been a better way to play the full console strategy, but I think that sticking with basically a Switch 2, of course, we haven't seen it yet, um, but I think that's a really smart move, and a lot of people are going, most people are are going to upgrade. It's going to sell really well over the next multiple years, and honestly, it's just a great form factor, right? Like, having one device that can handle Um, the console side and the handheld side um, is great for consumers, but it also like is great for Nintendo too. And being able to build games for one dedicated device instead of kind of split between two and, you know, and then similarly, like, uh, you know, honing their services and their subscriptions and all of that stuff to kind of serve on one platform instead of being split. And so I think from a hardware perspective, it'll do fine. Nintendo is going to continue being Nintendo. I think that very little is going to change with the strategy. Nintendo is going to probably continue just getting gradually a bit more niche in the gaming world since they don't really truly innovate. Um, But in terms of like first party content is going to be the same third-party content maybe you see slight changes but that never has been a priority for nintendo all the online stuff they'll make gradual slow improvements but it's always going to be slow (laughs) and and behind everyone else like it's i think it's just going to be the same same story from my point of view it could be wrong when they announce stuff but curious devin jonathan do you agree with that or do you have a different view
2: no i think you hit all the key points i mean it it makes all the sense in the world and and Single device versus multi-device is is has a lot of a- a- advantages for a lot of parts of the ecosystem.
1: I have a couple of questions, that, like just theoretical questions, right around uh, the the unanswered like assumptions around this. So, one is that if we're talking like PS four level, you know, gameplay stuff like that, the question I immediately come to is is that only in docked mode, kind of thing, right? Like, I know there are some, I believe, some features of the Switch that only work in docked mode because you can kind of get the uh, maybe improve battery life or power or something uh, along those lines. I don't know the exact technical reason they require that, but I can see that being a thing, right? Where it's like PS4 level power when it's plugged into your TV, but when you're on the go, it's like maybe closer to older Switch level or, you know, somewhere in between or like more Steam Deck level. Because it does, it does seem like that carrying around a PS4 probably would not be very battery efficient, one would imagine. I, I, I mean, and heat-wise and all that. I mean, it could be wrong. Maybe they Maybe they've engineered that. Absolutely possible. They, they, they've they done some cool stuff with some of the stuff they've engineered, but that seems like a definite possibility, which of course then makes you wonder like if it's that big of a difference, potentially, you have to wonder if like game developers do have to worry about developing two versions in a way, right? Or do they just do a 30-frame version versus a 16-frame version? Uh, stuff like that. Like There's definitely compromises they might have to make. Um, and then the, the other kind of thing I'm thinking about is backwards compatibility. They've always been kind of a little weird about that, where some of it's just selling the old stuff to you again, through these shops and things like that. Because if it's a Switch 2, like that would kind of imply, I think to a lot of people that there would be some level of backwards compatibility. Like it doesn't promise it, but it certainly implies it, right? If that's the name. But then you got to worry about the name because you saw what they did with the Wii and the Wii U. where there's a lot of confusion with people thinking the Wii U was an add-on, right? So I got to hope they learned from the marketing last time and would try and market this in a way that people think this is like an add-on or something you can do to your Switch 1 to like boost it up. And that it's very clearly... Uh, a brand new thing to meant to replace your old one? Stuff like that. It's it's just a lot of those questions around their, their kind of track record of stuff and whether or not they've learned the right lessons from some of that. Or it, like, for example, if we're just going to be rebuying all our own games again, because they obviously saw some success with that with the with the emulations they'd be doing, right? Like reselling the emulated versions of their older games, you know, through their Nintendo online uh, pr- like program that would give you like Super Nintendo games, stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see, like, especially if they... For example, up the the quality of like the N sixty four games, which is like a big kind of you know issue with the, uh, the Switch right now. If they can emulate those well, for example, that could be a good selling point to to some of that audience. I don't know, like a lot of question marks. But of course, you know, this was not really a press release from Nintendo, so it's certainly going to leave a lot of question marks. But I, I'm really interested to see a bit more info, especially if it's looking to come out anytime soon, like in the next year or two. I would imagine they're going to have to ramp up for it at some point here. Uh, I, I but it does sound like. One of the things that was the details here is, you know, they've talked to other game developers about this, right? So that's where these leaks come from is game developers have a heads up. So I do wonder, like, what is being cooked up for this? Um, obviously, Nintendo kind of needs a big first-party title. And I, I, I feel like sometimes the timing of their launch, uh, either for the game or for the console, often tends to kind of lean on having a big launch title and making sure that that's ready. I know that I've heard lots of stories from Miyamoto about trying to rush stuff out to be ready for these these big launches, sometimes almost having to delay the console launches, stuff like that because they need one. And it seems like the, the late stage Switch has really leaned into just remakes and stuff like that, as opposed to trying to do big uh, games after this, this last Zelda, which is exactly what you'd expect, right, from end of life cycle. Uh, but hey, I, I wonder if been now they're shifting been the 10 network. years since
3: the last mario kart right just saying <laughs> yeah
1: there we go mario kart 9 it's i mean obviously we don't want the one from from uh mobile or anything like that right but uh I, I really would be interested to see we get they do have that super mario brothers wonder which is a pretty big deal to be launching this late if they're like launching that just before switch 2 then i would hope it has backwards compatibility right you, like a game like that you don't want to buy it and then next year be like oh well i can't play it on my new system so I don't know, a lot of question marks, a lot of cool stuff. But uh, it certainly was not the only leak, as I hinted before.
2: Uh, Microsoft had a little bit of their own get leaked. Indeed. And, you know, once again, I don't know how it works out that these lawsuits always have mistakes in the redaction and oops, we forgot to do this or we masked that incorrectly. But, uh, you know, once again, here we are. And this is, you know, related to a 2028 potential update or, you know, complete redo of Xbox and then also some sort of mid cycle updates. You know this is high level stuff, so you know whether it's changed since this or you know sort of laying out a, a big vision has not come down to product specs or not will remain to be seen. But it seemed like a bit of the of the kitchen sink, right? You had sort of this cloud hybrid tech, right, where we're sort of like still betting on the cloud, but maybe not betting on the cloud so much and kind of stick, sticking with more traditional console underlying architecture, you, you know. Obviously, like big buzzwords, you know, powered by AI and machine learning and all the things that that can offer from, you know, in-game experience to monetization and all that stuff. Interestingly, potentially a UGC game building function within it, kind of all of the Roblox engine. So, you know, kind of of high level, like all, all the big bets the industry may or may not be making in the next couple of years. And then also some 2024 news around, you know, specific... Views, which you know some changes to form factor adding some features to uh you know to uh controllers you know a lot of like the latest and greatest technology you know to me being you know primarily an xbox user i i I like you know where it's where it's headed if it comes to the marketplace and you know obviously all these things are are potentially additive but you know it's more kind of rolling your eyes once again at like no, nothing is secret anymore when these lawsuits happen but you know certainly not not earth-shattering news for for Xbox but a lot for gamers to look forward to
0: I think one thing that stood out to me um, from this and obviously like uh, Phil Spencer came out and said a ton of this has already changed and so yep. who kn- who knows like what is actually real and what what isn't but yep. one part that stood out to me um, was that, they're building a new operating system that spans essentially all kinds of devices. Um, and that just you know, continues to hint at like, how Xbox thinks about its future differently from, from other companies. One operating system that you know, can be taken to mobile, to handheld, you know, console, to the web, um, et cetera, you know, really leaning into ensuring that people can play Xbox games, really Game Pass games, um, anywhere and everywhere. And, you know, that's a long-term bet to make that happen. But okay. I think the technical underpinnings are are starting to at least show in the, the roadmap in new ways. And, of course, like this points to um, new ways to play, right? Like um, handheld, <laughs> you know, as mentioned. Well, um, you know... I don't know if Xbox is going to create their own handheld device in the same way that Sony is with cloud or what that's going to look like in this next gen. But clearly, you know, we were talking about the switch and how they unlock this form factor where people can play handheld or, you know, on your TV. The other consoles are going to want to tap into that in some way. Um, and the play on anything, play anywhere, um, you know, thesis is going to support that. Um, and obviously there's more we don't know about, you know, the mobile side and, you know, what they're cooking up or what what they're building that maybe they can't even necessarily launch, you know, on, on iOS and elsewhere for now. But um, so that was interesting to me. And then, of course, just like as a nerd, you know, just seeing like, oh, like, you know, like what are the new Bethesda games like, oh, Oblivion, you know, remaster, Fallout 3 re- remaster, Dishonored 3. Etc. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of this has changed, but you know, kind of thinking back, Bethesda hasn't had like a like a big remaster yep. strategy. You know, they've always just kind of been taking their time with new games. So uh, maybe this is like a new area that they'll you know unlock some growth in, can be a mild you know push for Game Pass uh, and such into the to the future. Um, I didn't think anything here was too too crazy of a leak to be. To be honest, because a lot of this was expected. I just sort of wonder with like the direction it's going with the the operating system, um, the play everywhere, like, is this going to be a big win, or is this another Xbox One moment where they, they kind of spread out what they wanted to be too far? And, and at that time it was like, we're gonna be your home everything device. But you know, gamers didn't really care about that and non-gamers weren't gonna buy an Xbox to be that device and that didn't really work and they had to backtrack. Um so I, I'm curious what kind of moment will it be an Xbox One moment or something uh more successful once it's actually live. But those are my quick thoughts.
2: I, I think you're right. You know, philosophically what I'm sort of hearing here through both of these things that that's been illuminating to me as a parent is I think at least I'm in the generation where like things are occasion-based, right? You you know, even like as an early streamer, all that stuff, there was stuff that was for the big screen and stuff that was for the small screen and stuff that was for this. And, you know, a thread I see in this is, you know, it's handheld or it's, you know, console, it's mobile or it's console. And I, I see in my son, content consumption isn't occasional, right? There's just this completely seamless migration from like a big screen to a pad to a phone in a, in a car to a home. And the, the the true line is the content and not the occasion. And there seems to be far less focus on the device of delivery or the screen size than like for my generation. And I'm reminded of that and sort of, you know, hearing... Conversation about both of these platforms, right? That that the idea about occasion in gaming and content consumption is just going away. And um, I think it's really interesting
3: to see what they're going to come up with. But I'm a little bit surprised actually that they are even making new hardware. I thought that the current Xbox might be the last, and they would go completely cloud. So for me, the leak of it being a kind of hybrid uh, cloud hardware mechanism makes more sense. Like there already is one version of the Xbox without a hard drive, right, already. So they have already kind of experimented that. This even goes back to the Don Matrick days of it, uh, you know, it was all gonna be digital DLC only and not and their vision, but I think it speaks more to, you know, the, the Netflix of games approach. So um, yeah, I'll be honest, I'm a, a bit surprised that it's um, maybe not as revolutionary as I thought it might be. I thought they might use this as being the, the real opportunity to be like, no, now it is, like, there is no hardware. going to get all these updates or it might even be another update of the current console rather than going for a new one so i'm curious as to how often they'll go i suppose at the same time they because if you look at sales numbers the current round of xboxes have done around 20 million compared to ps5 which is like 40 million so this is i think the first time in a while that i would say they've not And maybe it's a bit harsh for me to say they've not really been in the race, but that's quite a beating, I would say, compared to sort of like the glory days of Xbox 360, where they beat they beat the PS3, right? At least in America, maybe not globally, but they certainly beat them in NA. Um yeah at the same time we've we're very complimentary about microsoft strategy on this uh, round table and i think for good reason i think we all think that the kind of subscription for everybody is a very good approach and one that should ultimately win out and it's just a matter of time before we all get it and just play their games because why would you not do that um hence i'm a bit surprised about the hardware so it's rambling on a bit here apologies for that but um see what it is i think it will just be way more cloud i think they're the, the, the OS being uh, working across all platforms makes perfect sense. doesn't sort of, um, yeah, no, nothing jumps out as it being, as it being um, a bad idea. sounds sensible to me.
0: Yeah, this also connects to a mailbag item um, that we've been sitting on uh, for a little bit. And it says, curious, you all should do some digging in and around the Azure part of the Microsoft cloud gaming space. I've always thought that Microsoft's end goal was to own the servers that power cloud gaming and everything is a means to that kind of like how AWS saw growth because of Netflix streaming video. Um, so I guess I'll connect a couple threads here. Um, one, with what you were saying, Anil, and two, to this to this question. Um, and uh, really the core of it is that I don't think Microsoft is betting on a cloud gaming-based future. You know, They're betting on an ecosystem of hardware, of other people's hardware, of the cloud, of anywhere they could possibly um, be to drive the kind of gaming experience that people might want. And different people have different, different needs or preferences. Um, and, you know, as for the Azure part, like, yeah, that's, of course, like a fantastic advantage to have. <laughs> and it's a way better business than, than gaming is for, for Microsoft, obviously. Um, and Azure will definitely benefit from any growth in cloud streaming, including the gaming side of that. Um, not just from Xbox, but even from PlayStation 2. I don't know if it's still the case, but I remember three years ago or so, it was announced that PlayStation was going to be working with Azure on its cloud streaming abilities. And I haven't heard otherwise yet, so I assume that's still, that still is a thing. Um, but Azure is absolutely a competitive advantage, especially for being able to integrate your own services into your own technology and making it more um, seamless and such over time. But really, like the truth of the matter is that cloud gaming still isn't awesome yet, and it has a lot of limitations. And a lot of these limitations are rooted in like actual physics, of, you know, latency and such that like are not easily solvable and probably will not be solved for a long time, um, if ever, you know, some people think. And so you know, I think kind of even taking this back to what you're saying, Anil, I think it actually is like super critical that xbox like has to continue to lean on hardware for a very long time because any other means means that it's not putting its best foot forward in like promoting like its games being played in the highest quality kind of way which of course um you know yeah that's like a luxury
3: it is a bit of a luxury brand in that sense it's definitely cheap well i I was just going to say something i want to interject i don't disagree with you i think in fact That's a great rebuttal. That that's very true, actually. So I think that's a great way to answer what what I'd said there. I was gonna say that I do remember in the Bill Gates era, Microsoft's sort of company mission was that they wanted everybody in the world to to be using Microsoft Windows on the PC. And they basically achieved that, I would say, right? And then they realized because they were so successful, they needed even more ballsy statement. And they were like, okay, but Hear me out. There are some people that are playing with digital entertainment, but it's not running Microsoft Windows operating system. So what if we made our own console? Now there's going to be a PC or a computer in everyone's home and it's going to be running our product. And that's the real reason why they went into Xbox and yeah, yeah, there we go. There, there was also sort of dreamcast where well, I let Devin say they're running Windows C and things like this. So that was their big thing in trying to do that. Um, and then But they they didn't really win that battle, right? They tried their hardest. They were quite successful. But I think, honestly, there was even talk when um, Satya Nadella took over that they might even want to sell the Xbox division. But I think they sort of found that they'd made this new division that was super profitable and lucrative, even if it didn't quite fit into its original company vision and they sort of changed it. So where I'm going with this is, I wonder if now is their company mission that no matter what hardware you're running anywhere in the world, it will be powered by a Microsoft... Service in the cloud. And it is quite similar to their original concept that everything runs through them, no matter what their hardware is. And I feel like that's where they're going. And that's why gaming is a big part of it, but it's not the only part of it. But hey, just, just a thought for me through it out there. It is interesting. Um, and I think
0: that like if anything, like Microsoft's overall mission and like the gaming's mission, Xbox's mission, probably are not completely um i don't want to say compatible because maybe they can both like exist at the same time but they're not like perfectly in sync and like a beautiful way um and if anything like if you look at kind of like what they're doing i mentioned the operating like building an operating system that works on every device you know kind of pushing that out And, and a lot of sense that's like the old microsoft strategy that was very like windows first we're going to try to put Windows on as many devices as we can. We're even going to create some of our own hardware and new categories to push that forward. Um, and that didn't really work. And you know, then Satya Nadella came on as new CEO and said, like, if we're going to take Microsoft to the next level, like our strategy can't be Windows. It has to be like serving the enterprise in the cloud, you know in, in as many ways right. as we can um, there. And of course, we'll still have. Microsoft and Windows as an operating system and sell Microsoft Office and all of that stuff but that's not the core like driver now and I, I sort of wonder with gaming like um, obviously they're not forcing their operating system on to you know other companies, other hardware, necessarily other consoles and such but um, but yeah it's not completely in sync with the overall Microsoft vision. I don't know if it makes sense to be they serve completely different markets um and therefore should probably have completely different strategies but uh, but yeah i think the operating system part is still fair but at the end of the day it's still it still was really important how they can compete in hardware um for the foreseeable future um and i think they're still kind of at a disadvantage there um until unless something really shakes up but i kind of doubt that's going to be the case so Um, I think, you know, they're not it's not going to be a flip the switch moment of their strategy from no console from console to no console. It's really like cloud is like a tiny thing. So they're hoping it'll be more important in a hybrid and then maybe one day um, play anywhere. They won't have to worry about the hardware pieces, I would guess. But that is a long time coming, if ever, I'd guess.
1: Yeah, I've noticed um, a couple of trends that I think all kind of point towards not necessarily cloud, as in like playing a game off the cloud, but as in trying to get you to centralize your things to the cloud. So, like for one thing, Windows has been pushing OneDrive more, like deeper and deeper integrated. Like I'm on Windows 11, and it's like actually difficult to not use OneDrive. Like they they really make it a pain. Uh, they also don't make it very good. I've had a number of problems with files and whatnot but they're definitely trying to push people to get their documents in the cloud and they push that with like microsoft 365 stuff for the office workers to have their stuff in the cloud obviously covid was like a huge boost for them like microsoft teams gained some great traction skype was pretty much all but forgotten about teams kind of took its place you know alongside zoom so they've definitely been pushing people more and more into these like sort of central online repositories obviously the xbox stuff isn't doing that so much yet in the sense that like your save game files aren't in your OneDrive, but I feel like that's kind of something that comes, you know, eventually where, you know, you're playing on your PC, you're playing on your Xbox. And all of a sudden they're both like centralized, your save game files and progress and your game attack, all that stuff on your OneDrive or whatever you want to call it, your Azure server. Like centralizing this stuff so that you're a little more dependent on them. The operating system is more just a client to this bigger sort of uh, nest they're trying to build. In the cloud. And I feel like that's been more their strategy where it's like inching people in there. Obviously, the big problem with trying to force people into the cloud, besides just the, the normal physics problems, is just lack of good internet in huge parts of the country. Like rural parts of the country, if if Microsoft tried to push entirely cloud-based gaming, then they would either just like have to use an old Xbox or switch over to Sony. Because they wouldn't, they wouldn't have a lot, or I guess Nintendo, but they wouldn't have a lot of choices then, because they just, they wouldn't even have the bandwidth to download a huge game, even if like they could, and so that's there's definitely parts of the country they just can't target that way. And so this is like a gradual shift and it's shifting more and more people into Microsoft accounts for everything, into, you know, Office apps in the cloud, into, obviously they failed with Hotmail and they ha- I don't know if they've managed to get much traction in email, Gmail seems to dominate that, but I imagine they'll make another play at that at some point and, and try and push that as well. And so this, that seems to me to be their strategy is to just get people to do everything with an internet connection to your account, to their servers. Uh, on the gaming server side, though, I've definitely seen like sometimes the progress fall back. So like uh, when uh, Siege came out, I know I, I'm biased and, and know enough about it to at least kind of bring it up a lot as an example, but it uh, it started out running on Azure servers. They had a lot of problems. It wasn't the best. I don't think Azure was really super prepared at that time. You know, this was a while ago. Siege, I think is eight or nine years old now. Uh, Rainbow Six Siege, to be clear. And uh, it, it had problems. And eventually, you know, like I think they, they smoothed most of them out. But then eventually that game moved to PlayFab on Amazon servers and I'm assuming it's still there. I haven't checked any time recently, but like obviously whatever was going on, wasn't a big enough deal for them to want to stay there. And so I I feel like maybe Microsoft still has some more uh, progress to make on Azure services. It might've been a deal as well that they were paying or, or subsidizing costs or something for Ubisoft. And that was why Ubisoft did it, but Ubisoft is pretty big in the cloud and streaming and downloading space. So I would think that's, you know, pretty important to them Uh, you know, even though they're, Obviously, I I could see them having stuff on Game Pass or something like that uh, down the road, but I don't know. There's a lot of like short like hops forward, but I still feel like they're so far from that like cloud dream. It's more just like, can we get everyone to at least like use our stuff and attach it to either an Xbox account or a Microsoft account? And like, that's the dream for now.
0: Yeah. Last thing I'll say is it's hard to have your cake and eat it too. Um, It's hard to have everyone. It's hard to build your own ecosystem where you compete with everyone (laughs) with games and time spent, and also try to be the service provider in as many ways as you can for an industry. So uh, they'll probably have to, you know, just pick a path really um, and and stick to it. And it seems like Game Pass and the ecosystem around that is really their primary focus, and all their efforts going to go towards figuring out how that's viable in an ever-changing future, uh, but we shall see.
1: I would say the short-term guarantee is subscription models coming out of them, right? Like, yes. That part's for not sure. going anywhere for now. It's, yeah. Unless they come up, unless a better business model comes out that replaces it, we're going to see more and more subscriptions from them. Uh, you already saw that too, where they changed like the Xbox Gold around and, and all that stuff, so yeah. I'm sure we'll see a lot more of that, but I, I doubt Microsoft will leave the uh, topics anytime soon. They always find a way to come back, even if it's through their court documents. <laughs> but we'll see what they got in store. But anyways, uh, I, 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 as, as the last comment, I, I, I do feel like they moved to this cloud stuff almost out of revenge for losing the HD DVD versus Blu-ray war. <laughs> They're like, screw discs then, man. We're moving on. But uh, anyways, I want to thank uh, our great panelists. As always, some great conversation, lots of cool stuff going on, some maybe not so cool stuff that hopefully will get cool for the next couple of weeks. But uh, definitely make sure to uh, you know subscribe if you haven't already to the Novick Digest. Check it out there. Also, if you're listening on YouTube, make sure to also check us out on Spotify or I think Apple Podcasts for on there as well. You know, subscribe on your native platform uh, so you don't necessarily have to watch the video if you don't want to. Uh, and also, lastly, of course, as a reminder, you, you just heard a mailbag question there. Make sure to get your emails in to uh, podcast.novick.co. I've got feedback, comments, questions, as this person did. You know, whatever. Shoot stuff over, it, you know, if we don't like it, we don't have to say it, but you know, shoot over whatever you want to say. Uh, we love getting feedback from you guys. It's definitely definitely helpful. So make sure you do that. But uh, thanks again to listeners as well. And we will see you next week. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review.